church. All right, here's our fun and exciting and dark question. What percentage would you give yourself for going to heaven if you died right now? If right now you have a cardiac arrest, um, that's a real word, right, Dr. Ken? Um, and you died, um, what, would you, what percentage would you give yourself for going to heaven? All right, so I'm going to give you guys three minutes to answer that question. And after you answer that question, I have a second question for you. Let's see. Sorry. My clicker. We're doing good. Oh, no. Oh, I thought I had another question. Nope. Wait. Nope. I'm confused on my slides. Okay, so... <laughs> I'll go back and look at my slides. Um, so what percentage would you give yourself for going to heaven if you died right now? There we go. So let's say you give yourself 70 and 30, right? What accounts for the 70% that you believe you'll go to heaven? And what accounts for the 30% where you're like unsure? Does that make sense? So whatever you pr- percentage you give yourself, uh, account, what accounts for both the positive and the negative percentages? All right, groups of two and three, make sure no one's left out. Talk to the people around you. Give you a few minutes. All right, thanks for sharing, everyone. Hope you, hope you got to talk a little bit. How many of you guys um, gave yourself less than 30% of going to heaven? Raise your hand. <laughs> no one? Less than 50%? 50-50? 70? Okay, good. 70 70 percent or lower, 80 percent or lower, 90 percent or lower, 99 percent or lower, 100 percent. All right, so about half of you, the other half were too shy to raise their hands. There's other categories like heaven doesn't exist, I don't believe in your heaven. Those are all legitimate uh, answers as well, actually. Let's see. So we're going we're gonna to move along today, and as we do, I hope that we would think seriously about this question, because it's probably the most important question you can ask in life. But it's also a question that we need to come back and reevaluate um, as we go along the Christian journey, primarily because there are people who believe that they're Christians and are actually not. And that's probably one of the most hollowing uh, passages in the Bible, where Jesus talks about, you know, he has a, there's a field, person planted all wheat, representing good Christians or real Christians, and then the enemy planted weeds, and they grew up alongside of each other. And at the judgment day, there's the weed, wheat that are going to be with the Lord, and the weeds that are burnt up, but they grow up together. So there's like, uh, it's scary like that, you know, or there's like goats and sheep, and then they're all kind of grazing together, and one day the sheep are, they're separated. The sheep are people who actually know God. The goats are people who think they know God, but don't. And, and over and over again, Jesus gives these parables or th- these analogies, and it's not simply divided into those who are Christians 
and those who are of another religion or atheist. But, though, but he gives a separate category of those who are Christians and those who think they are Christians but are actually not. So we're going to delve into this, but I hope that at the end of our time, whatever percentage you have, that you would reevaluate that percentage. I also hope that for those of you who um, are Christian, that you would feel more affirmed in your faith. But for those of you who are not Christian, but think you're Christian, would come back and reevaluate and ask yourselves the hard questions. I would much rather you and I um, not be self-delusioned. That's, that would be the best. If you could sit back and, and have a clear idea of whether you're Christian or not. I'd ra- much rather you know you're not Christian than think you are Christian but not be Christian. That's like a way worse position to be in. Okay, so hopefully at the end of our time, um, we, would, we would be in both uh, either camp and have more clarity about that. Here we go. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are furious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good, uh, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. We are at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And here, Jesus speaks to his disciples and talks to them about what kingdom life looks like. What it means to have a greater inner spiritual life than an external spiritual life what it's like to run away from sin and live freely as a person who follows the way of Jesus, what it looks like in their soul to long for righteousness, to hunger and thirst, to be a peacemaker. And now as Jesus has one eye towards his disciples, he is also having another eye towards the crowd who is making a decision for, of whether they want to follow Jesus or not, whether they want to go through this narrow gate into life or whether they want to follow all the other philosophies, all the other ways of life. And so he's, he's making the people choose. He he's, he's wants to cut through the crowd and say, there's a line in the sand. You have to decide whether you, you have to make a decision. You can't just sit there forever undecided. He, he asks them to do that. And then through this uh, narrow gate, or broad gate analogy, he speaks into that. And then he starts, again, delineating other categories, that there's going to be people among us who pretend to be part of our community, but really are sheeps and wolves' clothing. And you think about what that looks like, right? Uh, my first image is Winnie the Pooh wearing Eeyore. Have you seen those dolls? <laughs> I think they're super creepy. Like, you should not kill and skin your friend and then wear them. But that's what the wolf does, right? He kills a sheep, skins it, wears it, and then, and then goes into the flock. It's very different being a wolf. There's a specific mentality there. Um, you want to devour. You're about your own hunger and appetite. You have an agenda that takes advantage of other people. 
And we need to be careful and guard our community against this. Um, We need to be careful when people come into our church thinking primarily about money and business and trying to make money off of other people's trust. We have to be careful when people come in and think about uh, sleeping around. And that's why they're at church, because they want to hit on guys or hit on girls, and, and, and it's, a, it's a meat market. We have to be careful of people who come in with a, an agenda to climb the ladder board of popularity. These are really prevalent parts of being um, in a church. I remember at my first church, there was this guy who came in very charming, uh, went to Berkeley, and was dating all these different girls that I was close friends with. And after a few months, um, three, four of them sat down with me and basically told me how he had sexually harassed them um, in different, different going, you know, going out with them and stuff. And I was like really angry and horrified. And I, I was on staff at the time. I told my pastor. And he was just really slow to action. And he was t- continuing to take girls out. And so I remember sitting in the car with him and um, asking him about that in a way that was non-judgmental, like open-ended questions. And then he just diverged all of, these, all of this information. And then I asked him to step out of my car before I beat him up. <laughs> I wasn't a good pastor at the time. And I told him never to come back. And, um, and I think those are some, there's some people who come to church and they have a very specific agenda. They're not a part of the community and we need to ask them to leave uh, more politely than I had in the past. There's also sign, there's also um, ways in which you know you're a part of a cult or a part of a very unhealthy leadership. Um, I've pulled many people out of cults being at Cal State Fullerton because that's where cults uh, usually plant themselves in college campuses. And when we use the word cult, we're talking about a group of people who say that they're Christians, but actually are not Christians. One of the easy ex- examples is the Mormon church, because they use all of this Christian terminology, but they have a totally different view and framework and definition for those Christian terms. So for example, they say we only worship one God like because we're Christian, But if you zoom out, they will say that there are thousands, maybe millions of gods that all rule their own planet. And the planet Earth is just ruled by this one God, and that's why we worship him. Or when they say that Jesus is the Son of God, they equivocate Jesus being the Son of God as all of us being the sons and daughters of God, right? That Jesus has no difference in terms of his essence or nature. But Jesus is our older brother, meaning he's ascending into divinity like five steps ahead of us. And if we follow his path, we can also become God and rule our own planets. Same terminology, totally different meta story, right? Totally different. And so we, we need to be really careful um, when we go to a church and ask, like, what is your doctrine of faith? Do you preach the Bible? Are you helping other people understand the Bible? Are is your leadership unfallible and removed? Or can we go to your home, see your family? Under, is the church finances pretty open? You know, all of those things are really important as we discern what church we want to be a part of. You, might, you probably won't be at Renew for the rest of your life. At some point in your life, you're probably going to have to be looking for another church. I hope you 
uh, think through some of, some of those things. This idea of good and bad fruit, um, there's actually a bush in, in like the region of Israel where if you look from far away, it, it looks like grapes. But when you walk closer, it, have, it has thorns on it. So what the second part is saying is that examine the leaders that you follow close up. Because far away, it's easy to look good. It's easy to put on a show. But who are they really? You know, um, hear their stories. Are they vulnerable? Are they open? Do they, do they always promote themselves? Or are they willing to share their weaknesses with you and be human as well? Those are all really important aspects as we think about um, the leadership of the church you're attending now, Renew, myself, uh, the Whitmores, the Kims. But also, again, as you, in, at some point in your life, look for another church, don't think about primarily what they say. Think about how they live. Um, examine their lives. I have a professor who went to China and uh, mentored a lot of pastors there and taught at a seminary. And every day, the seminary president would knock on his door in the morning. And then he was, like, bewildered. But... He would just walk in and like have breakfast with them, sit with them throughout the day, take them to class, take them home, sit with them at home. And then by the third day, um, he's like, okay, I don't need to be babysat, basically. Like, why are you here every day? And he said, we want to know how you live and not just how you teach. And it's really important that we have that in mind when we think about um, the people that we want to learn from. I have a whole sign you in a cult list. I'll, I'll email this to Philip Chu, anyone else who needs it. <clears throat> Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, Away from me, you evildoers. When you look at verse 22, that's a pretty good list of accolades. They refer to Jesus correctly as Lord. There, there's even incidentals in which they would have gotten affirmation from the community around them. They were teachers. They casted out demons. They performed miracles. Why were they not accepted into heaven. I think the two lines that really stand out to me is first, that they were not doing the will of God. And we will flesh that out a little bit. And secondly, they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I never knew you. A lot of the Sermon on the Mount was dedicated to these Pharisees who did all of these religious acts, but really did not have a relationship with the Lord. And that's what Jesus often accused them of. You honored me with your lips, but you're far, your hearts are far from me. Or he described them as whitewashed tombs, right? On the outside, it looks clean, but on the inside, their souls are rotting. It's, it's easy to deceive the people around us. It's easy to have them assume that we're Christian and even do enough spiritual activity where everyone might affirm our faith. And scarily, is that a word? That we would even deceive ourselves in believing we're Christian. So what are some accurate questions 
um, that we could diagnose ourselves in? What are some tools that Jesus gives us for which we can evaluate our own spiritual life? Here's one of them. Verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had a fir- because its foundation because it had its foundation on the rock but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand the rain came the stream rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash i'll go back to this so let me go to this diagram that we talked about two weeks ago. When we think about whether we are really Christian, we think about it from two positions. The first position is, is down here. Are you here? And it's a crowd perspective. It's making this decision of whether I want to go my own way, find my own truth, live life the way I want to live it, or whether I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. That's a specific set of questions we would ask as we evaluate our salvation, as we decide whether we want to become Christian. We're kind of undecided. But a lot of Jesus' parables actually asks those of us who assume we're a part of God's kingdom to reevaluate whether we've actually crossed through the gate. And that's what we'll land on today. But we'll start here. If you're deciding whether you want to follow Jesus or not, the simple and most basic question you can ask is, is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Savior meaning, I want Jesus, I believe I've sinned, that I'm not perfect, I've done wrong in my life, and that I can't make up for my own sin. No matter how good I am, I cannot stand before the Lord and and be in his presence. And so the most basic tenet of the Christian faith is that God, you know, the Christian faith is not about the best of us, the holiest of us, the most righteous of us, ascending a mountain and reaching God. But it's about God loving humanity so much that he comes down from heaven to earth to be with us. And not, not the best of us, the worst of us, the sinners, the the prostitutes, the terrorists. These are the people that he sat with and shared meals with and invited into his kingdom. And so it's very difficult for a person who says, man, I'm, I'm really good. I deserve to go to heaven on my own rights to become Christian. Because Christianity in its foundation is a dependence on Jesus to forgive us of our sins, is accepting that his death on the cross, was our substitute, that he paid for our sins. And secondly, is that we want him to be Lord of our lives. We're saying that, God, I want, I'm committing to you um, to be my God, to be my leader, to be my king. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live under your rule and your reign. I'm going to walk your way. And all of the Sermon on the Mount is really fleshing out what that looks like. What, king, what it means to live in this kingdom, that we are 
if we're really a part of his kingdom, we forgive people who have hurt us. If we're really a part of his kingdom, we aren't consumed by lust, but we desire to live in marriage and to give ourselves to our husband and wife even before we met them. If we're really a part of his kingdom, we don't do spiritual acts for show or for the people around us. We do it out of a vibrant relationship with the Lord. You know, I think about uh, getting married to Nina, uh, one of the best days of my life. And I've facilitated many weddings. I'm going to facilitate a few more this year, which I'm really excited about. And the most amazing part of the marriage uh, ceremony is the vows, right? Hearing each other stand in front of all of your friends and families. Um, It's an amazing moment to have everyone you love in one space at one time be about you. I don't know if there's any other moments in life. Uh, Maybe your funeral, but you won't know, you know? So those are two moments, and you're only conscious of one of them. But you stand before your wife or your husband. I remember looking at Nina and saying, um, at the core of it, I commit to you. I'm not going to be running after any other girls. Um, I'm going to be faithful to you. And we're going to do this whole life thing together. And it doesn't matter if you get sick or if we're poor or if we have bad years. I am about you. And I will spend the rest of my life with you. Now imagine after the wedding day, um, some of you single ladies are flipping through coffee and bagel, and I'm there. Like, <laughs> would that be awkward? <laughs> you know? Or you're going through Tinder, and there's a picture of me, but my name's different, like William, right? Um, imagine if you went to a, a coffee shop, and you saw me holding hands with another woman. Or imagine if I stood with Nina, I said, hey, I'm, I'm committed to you, but I'm also committed to three other women. And so, like, Mondays and Fridays, me and you, but like Tuesday, Thursdays, I'm actually going to be at Sally's house. And Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to be at Trisha's house. And, you know, like when you get married, there's a very specific life shift, okay? You're probably not going to be super close to your girlfriends anymore. Um, you're going to wake up. Oh, she almost stepped on your... I didn't, though. Okay. Um, we're going to go to sleep together. We're going to wake up together. We're going to brush our teeth together. You're going to be my best friend. And, and that's going to be 30, 40, 50 years till we die. We're going to raise kids together. I'm not going to be on coffee and bagel. I'm not going to every Tuesday, Thursdays. Okay, so life when you're single and life with your marriage should be totally different right? We're moving in together. We're sharing our families, our finances. We're becoming one. So if I made those marriage vows to Nina, but lived exactly like I did as I was single, she and my friends and family would be like, did he mean what he said? Were those vows and commitment, was that, was that real and significant to him? Or did he, was he just like, did he just want like everyone in the same room and eat, eat well? Right? So when you think about your Christian faith, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we ask the Lord to come into our life, 
significant things happen. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He lives inside of us and he empowers us. The Bible comes alive. And, and scholars might come to the same conclusion as you when you read scripture, but you're convicted by it. And the Spirit opens up your life so that it becomes a curriculum for the truth to be embedded into your soul. The Spirit allows our spirit to testify that God is our dad. And there's this growing intimate relationship with him. And you fall in love with what it means to live in his kingdom. You fall in love with scripture and the laws because you realize this is truth and good for me. And that is going to send your life on a totally different trajectory. It's going to be like getting married. In fact, that's often how the Bible talks about our relationship with, with God. It, oftentimes, the prophets talk about Israel and God in a marriage relationship. And when Israel um, worships other idols, God is saying, you, you're, you're cheating on me. We have a covenant and you're cheating on me. You said, I'm going to be your God, but you're actually worshiping money and sex and your career and comfort and not me. So when we give our life to Jesus and it's real, the rest of our life should look different. When I get married with Nina and say my vows and it's real, there should be tangible differences in the rest of my life. And so if you're a Christian, or if you think you're a Christian, if you've gone to church for a long time, if you're a PK, what Jesus is saying is, work backwards a little bit with me. Because if your life doesn't look any different, if you said the prayer, but you're, you're the master of your life, you're doing, you're copying, pasting scripture. You're doing things however you want to do it. Maybe that first commitment, maybe that wedding day didn't mean much. You know, it's a big thing to become a Christian. It's a big thing to get baptized. Because you're not just asking for forgiveness. You're saying, Jesus, you're going to be my king. I'm going to commit to following your way. I'm going to live the way you've called me to live. And then the rest of our life reflects that. So Jesus says, hey, like, what fruit are you bearing? You know, if you're rooted in me, what are, what's coming out of your life because of that? And then he says, if you know me, you're going to love and know my word. And your life and your faith and your spiritual life is going to be firm. And we're going to go through a lot of, a lot of crap through, uh, in life. We're going to see friends die. Some of us are going to get cancer. People in, in other countries, right when they become Christian, they're asking, is, is all of this worth losing my family? But Jesus asks us to ask that question. Is all of this worth losing my job and career? People have said, yes, it is. Many people. And, and it needs to be, because that's how significant this choice is. So I've, I've laid, made a list of questions, 
And I hope that it would help you think about, especially if you're Christian, where um, if the wedding day changed your life. Does that make sense? If that moment you decided to receive Jesus and get baptized, if that had real implications, because if it doesn't, it's not about the implications, it's about that commitment. It's about going back and saying, do I really believe Jesus forgives me and dying the cross for my sins, and do I really want to give my life to him? The second thing I want to say is, as we look at these questions, um, I want us to think in years. If you've been Christian, especially, it's easier for you. If you've been Christian for 10 or 20 years, don't think of these questions as yesterday or last week or my worst moments. Think of them through the course of your Christian journey. Try to take an inventory of the entirety of your Christian life, because that's going to give you a much more accurate answer to these questions. And secondly, especially if you're a younger Christian, ask whether you want to head in this direction. Is my part pointed here? One of the fundamental things that happens when we become a Christian is God removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. Or in in other words, he repoints the trajectory of our heart so that instead of loving and running after sin, we start hating sin and we start loving Jesus and running after him. So maybe you don't have that many years under your belt, but you can ask, are these things that I really want at the core of me? Do Do I want this? Am I walking towards this? Am I headed in this direction? Okay? Um, If you have your phones, go ahead and pull it out. If you're on Facebook, go from Facebook to notes. And then um, I would love for you just to write a simple yes or no answer or however you want. Just start start categorizing some of these answers, okay? Question one, the most fundamental questions you can ask. Am I continuing to depend on Jesus alone for forgiveness? Is he the Lord, King, and leader of my life? That's the baseline. And we should not ask that one time in our life. We should ask that often. It should, it should continue to be true. It can't be true for just one moment. It has to be continually true through the course of our Christian life that Jesus forgives us of our sin so that every time we sin, we're asking him to forgive us. And that's our only solution. And also that we desire to live his way, to follow him, to give our life to him. Secondly, do I know and love Jesus more? When I take inventory of my life, do I love Jesus more today? Do I know him more today than when I started this journey? And, And does he know me? And does he... Love me. Am I in? And and that's a relationship that only you can talk. Only you can answer. Does that make sense? It's. Do I love the Bible's teaching and desire to follow them? Does it come alive and guide and convict me? Am I about what Jesus is about? You know, I as we journey into Christian faith, um, there there is a greater and greater celebration 
for the way that God wants us to live, that we start to love it. If you hate the way God's calling you to live, maybe you haven't asked him to be king of your life. Maybe that was a choice you're reneging on. Am I growing in deeper dependence on the Holy Spirit? Is my inward spiritual life consistent and greater than my outward life? You know, Paul uh, warns Timothy as Timothy is establishing um, churches to not put young Christians into leadership positions. Because if we're asking some of these fundamental questions, we need to do that first. It's easy to be in leadership and to start assuming the spiritual, our spiritualness correlated with the title when it's not actually true. So have we taken inventory of our spiritual life? If we're leading worship on stage, do we have an even greater heart of worship when we're not on stage? Right? If we're teaching the Bible, do we love Scripture more than what we're teaching? Like, on social media, I, I can tell you that whatever you see in terms of my love for Liam and how cute I think he is and my love for Nina pales in comparison to how deeply I care about them. But it's a problem if social media, um, my portrayal of my marriage on social media is my best parts. And at home, I'm like, I actually hate her and I'm fighting with her. Does that make sense? In the same way, I hope that on social media, in your service in the church, that, that that would pale in comparison to your actual spiritual life off Sunday, off stage, off social media. Because that's what really counts. Um, am I different? Am I forgiving people more? Am I judging less? Am I more free from sin? Am I more humble? Am I experiencing deep love, joy, and peace? And again, we're not asking day-to-day questions. That doesn't help us very much. When we think about salvation, we should ask questions about our whole spiritual journey, about its trajectory. So I hope that when we think about our life, that there are, we're different today than we were 10 years ago when we became Christian. And forgiveness is probably one of the most distinct markers Jesus comes back to again and again. That we, if we really understand the gospel, if we get the sacrifice that Jesus made to, to save us from our sin. You know, when I first started the Christian journey, I was like, man, I understand why Jesus had to die for the worst people. But probably for me, he just took a lash, you know? Like, I'm not that bad. And then as I grew in my faith, I saw the enormity of my sin in comparison to God's righteousness. I started seeing, even in my good works, that it was tainted with selfishness and pride. I started taking inventory of my thought life. And I come before the Lord now, and it's so... um, It means so much. And I I understand that he died for me. That even if it was just me getting to heaven, he would have to die for me. And when we wrestle with that enough, we start forgiving other people because of how Jesus forgave us. And it's evidence when we don't forgive others that we don't really understand the forgiveness of God. I mean, he says some really potent things 
Like, if you don't forgive your brothers and sisters, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. I think what that means is you don't really get his forgiveness if you're not forgiving the people around you. So, as we think about these questions, I hope, I hope that for some of us, uh, sorry, next slide for me, Chrissy. Um, next slide, is there a next slide? <laughs> she, looks, she looks sad. Um, as we think about these questions, um, I hope that we would continue to reevaluate our, our, those first, that first commitment and whether it sent us into a life of marriage with the Lord. And as I've grown in my faith, I continue to ask these questions of myself, but the answers have come more quickly and more easily. As, as I've walked with the Lord longer in like the last 30 years, there's this sense of like, oh, I've been through stuff. You know, I've, I've, hit, I've hit storms in my life and my faith is still standing. Um, when we are doing this right, I think that we come to a point where we can stand at the door of death and know that we're going to heaven because the same Jesus that we held on to, that we built a relationship with, that we clung to in our storms, he's the only one that will walk us through the threshold of death. Right? If we're clinging to other things, even if it's our kid or our, or, our, or our spouse or our money, like they don't go through the door of death with us. They don't securely, we can't securely move with them into heaven. Even, if Nina, if Nina was on her deathbed, I'll stare at her and I'll be so sad because I cannot hold her hand through death. But Jesus, when we know him, when we're confident in our relationship with him, when we go through years together, the best and the worst, and we've cried with him, and we've, and we've built our friendship with him, and we love him, and we stare down death, we have a friend and a lover and a king that we, we've grown used to holding his hand. We've, come, we've grown accustomed to his voice. We're familiar with his love. And when we're going to pass, all of those things is what will walk with us from death to eternal life. And he'll say, I knew you. That's what I want for each of us. You know, Dr. Ken and my sister, she's a nurse practitioner and other people uh, in the medical field, they often see people walking through that door. Um, and they've told me that it gets so real. My sister just told me about she works at Sea of Hope. Everyone has cancer there. And um, she's told me the immense peace she's seen Christians display when staring down death. But then others who have gone to the church their whole life and they are afraid. 
Um, and I'm not saying you can't be afraid, but if Jesus is a familiar friend, the fear is different. I hope that you would take, if you're not a Christian, but you're asking those questions, that today you would consider receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That you would ask him to forgive you of your sins and you would say, I want to follow you. Um, You know, I've been to so many camps and and praise nights where people pray the prayer, um, the sinner's prayer, where you ask Jesus to forgive you and you say, God, I want you to be my king. I want to be in a marriage relationship with you and commit to you and commit to following you. I remember when I was a young Christian, when that prayer came up, I was scared if I was really Christian, and so I prayed that prayer. And then when I matured in my faith, um, I would still have to pray the prayer because it was true for me still. And when, when I even grew further in my faith, I just prayed the prayer on my own because those things have always and most easily been true. God, forgive me, and I want to follow you. So today, I'm going to pray this prayer. And I, maybe if you're, you, maybe today you want to decide and ask Jesus to forgive you and to follow him. Or maybe today you're not sure, but, but this prayer is still true and you want to come back to it to affirm your salvation. Or maybe today you've walked with the Lord for 20, 30, 40 years and the prayer is easy. But I hope wherever you are, you would decide to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. But I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and forgiving me. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite the worship team to come up.